Hello and welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 286. Oh, so I'm starting this time? Okay. <laughs> no, so last week start. at the end, <laughs> last week at the end of the podcast, we, or Stephen brought up the uh, FTC nixing the fix report that came out. I think it came out earlier this year, but it was in the news recently about Congress and Joe Biden um, going over uh, and looking at legislative actions for right to repair. It was actually um, a uh, uh, an executive order that included some wording that just touches on right to repair. Correct. Um, and so, uh, over basically, we gave everyone homework of reading the report all like 56 pages. It's actually the thing about this report is if more people read stuff like this, the world would be a better place. <laughs> uh, it's such a great report to read because it covers both sides of the argument and it's just presenting the arguments. And it's, it's pretty comprehensive at the same time. Um, it presents, uh, it doesn't have any, it has opinions from both sides, from manufacturers and from right to repair advocates. It has, uh, my favorite section is at the very end of it, which is not the conclusion, but the second last part, which is identification of issues to be considered and any action taken, um, which is basically like if we if you do X, this could be Y, that kind of stuff. And it's all cited. It's all it's it's a really good piece of, of uh, you know, uh, I, I, I will say it is it is written from. Uh, like the voice that it is written in is from um, the right to repair side of things. That's not saying that they're necessarily advocating for it or saying that something must be done. It's just written from that side. And, the, and that makes sense because the status quo is not right to repair. Correct. Correct. You're correct there. Um, but I would say if, if more people read do documentation and reports like this or if news outlets would actually report on news like this, the world would be a much better place. <laughs> um, so anyways, let's get right into it. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to start by, well, who's going to read this? Basically, this is like the first paragraph of the conclusion, which I know we're jumping to the end, but it's actually a really good statement of why this matters. Yeah, yeah, I, I can I can go ahead and read this. So yeah, like we 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 read through the the document, and then this first paragraph in the conclusion is like, let's just start with this because this just gives you a flavor for everything else that's to come here. So, the uh, the conclusion states the debate around repair restrictions illustrates the limitations of MMWA, which is the uh, the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act. We'll get into that in a second. So the MMWA's anti-tying provisions in repair markets. While the anti-tying provision gives consumers the right to make repairs on their own or through an independent repair shop without voiding a product's warranty, repair restrictions have made it difficult for consumers to exercise this right. Although manufacturers have offered numerous explanations for the repair restrictions, the majority are not supported by the record. Yeah, so that's a very good, basically like 56 pages condensed into a paragraph, which is, you know, that T, what, too long didn't read? Yeah, this um, is super TLDR, yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically going to that with Magnuson Moss Warranty Act, which I've actually never heard about before. Um, so I read it a little bit, and uh, 
And basically what that warranty act or that piece of legislation does is it's a statue um, that's intended to protect consumer rights from deceptive warranty practices. That's all it I won't say all it does, but that's what the majority of it does. Um, basically, consumer products are not required to have warranties, but if they do, you have to follow this. It's a standard. Yeah. It was enacted in 1975, and a huge portion of it is based around the language you use. So you can't purposefully obfuscate uh, information in a warranty. You must use clear language that is not legal gobbledygook, basically. Correct. And it defines definitions and discloses standards around how you should write a warranty. Um, the, the big thing is it also bars this. We got into this with the, with that conclusion we, we read earlier is it also bars manufacturers from using access to warranty coverage as a way to obstruct consumers ability to have consumer products maintained and repaired by third parties. Basically it's also say it says you have to write your warranties this way and you can't uh, prevent uh, you can't void a warranty because it got repaired at a third party place. And I should put a little asterisk on that. It was repaired correctly <laughs> at that third party place. Yeah. Um, if, if a third party place messed it up, the warranty doesn't cover it, of course. And, and you know, okay, so, so wording like that is peppered throughout this entire report of uh, it's not just enough that the functionality was returned to a thing that needed a repair. It's that it need, it, the functionality had to be done correctly for it to be con even considered a true repair, effectively. Mm -hmm. And so I was basically, I was reading through this entire document, uh, the, the nixing the fix, and I picked out some points of interest that I thought was interesting. Um, well, that's redundant, I guess, but that at least I didn't think about before um, and wanted to bring up. Um, there's a statement in here about a manufacturer with market power that has refused to provide customer uh, consumers or aftermarket service providers with key inputs, which is parts, manuals, software tools uh, may be subject to antitrust liability. So this is kind of like getting around, I say getting around, but um, if a manufacturer has, like how do you go after, with the current legislation, how do you go after a, a company or manufacturer for withholding documentation and stuff like that for the repair? Like if they don't want you to repair stuff, how do you, gain access to it and well, basically I mean, legally there's you don't have an option right now well there there is actually and it's actually going through antitrust laws and going through monopolies if they have a significant market power the big one was um kodak well okay so but 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 what i'm getting at is you don't have options is in that's an enormous amount of work like you you as just oh, a joe sure. schmo consumer do not have an option correct correct but um but this is this is like other companies that are third-party repair companies going after the bigger company because um, basically like Kodak was basically not selling the components required to fix their copy machines and basically anything they made. They didn't sell any of their parts. And so how all these third-party manufacturers or repair shops got around that is they went after Kodak for a monopoly, a monopoly on those parts. 
Um, and so the, the, the key word there is manufacture with market power um, and going after a company that way. I thought it was very interesting, um, I guess, method to go through it. You could, you could say that um, is like Stephen Craig or Parker Dillman in the basement building pinball control, no pinball boards. We don't have market power. <laughs> yeah. I, I, okay. So, so Parker has that in bold in our notes, and uh, and so my mind's been kind of reeling over that. What does it mean to have market power or enough market power to be considered? Uh, a threat uh, in this sense like what's the threshold that i mean okay so it's it's uh, like you it's easy to pull the big fish out like you could say apple has market power that's really easy but what about a smaller fish like when do you get to that point where people can start uh, taking you to court for antitrust laws yeah well antitrust in regards to basically providing customers for aftermarket services that's what they're going after here well, and, and, and if you're going after the monopoly thing, Apple doesn't have a mon monopoly, so you couldn't get them in that way. Correct, correct. Um, well, if they have a monopoly in providing the parts, that's that was the key that they're going after. Yeah, but, but but how does that work? If uh, like because you could you could claim that Parker Dillman has a monopoly on the parts for your product because of course you do. Uh, well, right now I do because the, the supply chain is so messed up here. That I own, no, it'll like, always be that way because the supply chain will always be just you. Oh well, no, because you know microchip makes the microcontrollers, and no, so what I'm is, getting at is no one else is ever going to make your boards. Only you are going to make your okay, so boards. That's different. Okay, <laughs> the repair my board requires other components that other manufacturers make, and so the next part of this is uh, they they defined market power as a manufacturer that has succeeded in limiting the availability of parts through explicit exclusive dealing contracts with preferred service providers. So remember we were talking about that IC, the battery charging IC that Apple, we're going to be picking on Apple by the way. So, well, this whole uh, document basically picks on Apple. Well, most right to repair to pick on them because they're the, <laughs> They're the biggest single entity player that is against right to repair. So it makes them an easy target. Anyways, this is a really good example, though, is that there's a, there's a custom IC. I say custom in quotes because um, it's not actually custom. It's got probably custom firmware maybe on it. But regardless, the part number on it is only provided from the OEM manufacturer that's chipped to Apple. And there's an agreement saying that they can't sell elsewhere. Um, that would be market power in this regard. Um, it would be, so that, that's a really good example. So you could go after Apple to provide that part, um, with that method because they have a contract saying, you know, we have a monopoly on that part. Um, and also really, this is, this is also another interesting thing is, um, Raspberry Pi and Broadcom would be in trouble. Because of the processor? Because of the processor at this one. Because you could go after the Raspberry Pi Foundation um, over that processor. Because no one can get that part because you have to have an exclusive deal. Because they have an exclusive deal with uh, Broadcom. I don't know if that's still the case, but that was the case back in the day. So. Hmm. I mean, 
if you take that to its logical extreme, the uh, Arduino has that one like super special fuse that's their fuse that like distinguishes it being like oh because it's an like golden Arduino. color or something because like it's that. golden color could you tag them for that? Um, I think they just have that part. No, because you can actually just buy that part. That's actually not a big deal. Um, because you can I just thought they go got on. that specifically manufactured for them. They I, single source it. No, I think it's it's just a very specific one, and fakes don't use that one because it's more expensive. Hmm. I think that's the only reason. Hmm. I say fakes, clones, I should say. They're not fakes, they're clones. I guess they could technically be fakes if they say they are a... Are they called... What is it? Duino? Anything it just, Duino? Well, no, because Duino is like a trademark thing. I'm talking about... Um, if they say it's made by Arduino and it's not, that's a fake hmm. or a counterfeit. But if it's just Arduino equivalent, I mean, that's fine. It's just a clone at that point. The, the uh, difference there. An Arduino Uno costs $20. If you see anything that claims to be an Arduino Uno and it's like $3, then there's your indicator. <laughs> there's your indicator. <laughs> so the trick is to sell your fakes for $20. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, back to it. Yeah, back to no. That's a, that was a good good tangent. Um, so where were we at? Um, ah, yeah. So the, basically, the first like ten pages of this document is about stuff like that man, market power, court cases that have gone on that are, are setting the stage of like what is the current gobbly goop of laws and legislation and court cases and um. The current state of the industry, I guess, is a good way to put it. Uh, and then it goes into things that manufacturers currently do that potentially, it says potentially, limit repair restrictions. Actually, it just says repair restrictions on it. Um, so there's physical, uh, the physical device design, basically. Uh, parts, repair manual, software tools, uh, designs that make repairs unsafe, telematics, which I've never heard that word before. Um, quality of service of repair, uh, application of patent rights and trademarks, um, disparag disparagement of non-OEM parts, software locks, EULAs, and liability and reputational harm. Which is, so that's a big list. Yeah, it's so pretty comprehensive. Um, so I went through that whole list, and this was a really good section because it's actually a lot of the things that Stephen and I have brought up on the previous podcast episodes about right to repair are kind of actually like in here. And it's like, did they listen to our podcast and kind of <laughs> just like transcribe it? No. Well, okay. So like, anytime you you dig into right to repair, you start. If it's okay, same, right, right to repair should make you ask questions as opposed to you just going, "Oh yeah, that sounds great." Like, yeah. you just, like you start asking questions, and when you when you start really digging into it and asking all those questions, you end up touching on all of these points, mm -hmm. and that's basically, I think, where we landed. Yeah, and so so we'll go. The first one, I'm going to pick a couple of these that are good things to talk about for this podcast. Some of them don't. We don't really care too much about. At least for. Uh, us manufacturing and designing and building things. Um, but the physical one is the big one is a big one, which is the, the design itself makes it hard to repair um, like modern cell phones. Cause they're glued together. Um, basically manufacturers are 
what manufacturers say is we design it that way because the customer wants it that way. That's that's what they say. Um, now, what's interesting about that is when you go into um, into all these reports that basically say no, that's not actually what customers want. The one of the when customers buy uh, electronic devices. One of the things they care about the most is actually longevity and repairability about the design of well, the device, except that those come much later and after they own the product. It's interesting. When they are looking at the product, all they care about is how it looks and yeah, how it aesthetics performs. first and then repairability later. But then after they've owned it for a while, they care about repairability. Right. So it it swings, it's, it changes uh Basically, I think it's what it is, is a customer already owns it now, and so they want to just keep owning it. Well, right? like the, the, the shiny new object wears off, and now they're yeah. like, oh, I spent $1,000 on this. I want it to last me $1,000 worth of time. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, it's basically what the right repair advocates are saying is um, at the time of sale, Customers do not have the knowledge to make that decision on, like, if you look at two cell phones and and you go, well, I don't know which one's easy to repair. That's the problem. At least that's what they're saying the big problem is, is they, customers don't know which ones are easier to repair and which ones are not easier to repair. Um, well, and that sales guy who's on the floor trying to get you to buy well, it. They're just... They're just trying to sell which one has the highest margin. Right, right. What well, what I'm saying from. is, like, even if you're trying to get that information, it would be very difficult to find if you're in those stores. Yes. Um, now, I know iFixit um, has a repair index for devices, which is very good. It's like a, a consumer... Uh, what was the magazine you used to get? This is like... Consumer Reports. Consumer reports, yes. So it's like a consumer report for modern electronic devices in terms of how easy it is to repair devices. Mm -hmm. So um, that's if you sell cell phones, that could be something that you could do, I guess, is have a a repair index, I guess. A manufacturer could have a repair index mm -hmm. for their phones, um, which would immediately solve that problem, at least in terms of, for me at least, in terms of providing the proper information to consumers um, and main manufacturers and designers of these devices would, would actually get the proper feedback if they start seeing, oh, the devices that actually are easy to repair sell more. Because right now they don't do that at all, so they can't get that kind of feedback. You know, actually, um, so I'm on the, the ifixit.com slash smartphone dash repairability uh, is their smartphone um, uh, index. And they basically just give a score of a number, but they also give um, pluses and minuses, uh, like pros and cons as to how you actually get into it. Or, or things like, I'm just looking at the iPhone 11 Pro Max, and their negative is glass on the front and back uh, doubles the likelihood of drop damage, which I guess doubles the likelihood of cracks. Um, and then you'll likely be removing every component and replacing the entire chassis. So, oh, if you break the enclosure. they go in, they go into uh, it's it's pretty simple, but they go into a bit of depth. So if you were to purchase a phone, you could go to this webpage and just see like 
hey, is, does this thing have a rating of nine or does it have a rating of one? Nine being better. Yeah. Um, so I could see that being a, a um, it could be something that a, at point of sale, they could offer that information. Now that's provided by a third party. I fix it. Would you trust a manufacturer to provide that information for you? I don't know. That's like, okay. That's like when you go, <laughs> I was laughing about this just the other day with my boss. You go to Harbor Freight and you look at the, uh, the ratings that they have for their stuff. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> everything yeah. is like four and a half stars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, if they're going to curate on, their own repairability rating. Yeah, reviews on the company's websites are kind of hard to trust. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know they're curated. <laughs> you know, okay, uh, total side note, but this is, this is in relation to um, consumer reports. I thought this was a great idea. Um, cons- uh, I recently replaced my entire AC heating uh, system in my house. And uh, we got some information from um, uh, Consumer Reports about um, manufacturers of, uh, of systems. And the way that they did it, instead of uh, – inst- they, they went outside their normal method and they actually just reached out to everyone in Consumer Reports' company and just said, what system do you have? What do you like? And their own company wrote their own reviews on it, which I thought that was a cool idea because it's so hard to write reviews on things that are supposed to last 15 to 20 years. That and also you as a consumer of those those kind of products, you don't use a lot of them. Like over your lifespan, you have three of those, maybe four. Yeah, you would hope not four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also, it depends also like if you rent, like you have no opinion because you can't change it. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So it's very interesting uh, about that. I wonder if a good, uh, is people who rent a lot of um, houses out, if that would be a good pool to talk to about for like air conditioner units. Or, or, oh, homeowner insurance companies too, probably. I find there's certain appliances are the worst at this, and especially the more expensive appliances. If you go to Google and you try to get information about some of your more expensive appliances, you're going to get so much clickbait, so much curated uh, marketing stuff. And if you go to any website of any air conditioner manufacturer or whatever, they're just going to tell you they have the best stuff that you've ever seen ever. No one has ever made anything this good ever. Uh, It's kind of... I don't know. It's rough. So having something like Consumer Reports is is uh, very helpful, and especially mm-hmm. when it comes from just uh, I guess uh, Joe Schmo, for lack of better words. Yep, yep, yep. So yeah, I would say um, on on devices of having a repairability report that you can easily easily access would be a benefit, mm-hmm. and it would not manufacturers would not have to change a thing. Now again, who man? Do you have to mandate that? I don't know. That's that's a different discussion. Well, yeah, we start getting into um, we start getting into some really sticky stuff when uh, when you start using the word mandate. Yeah, I would. I'll put this way: if I would buy my devices from a company that provided that stuff easily, yeah, I'd rather be done that way. I will. I will buy my phone from a from a place that provided that information to me. 
There's so. something more pure about that in a way. Yeah. Right? Okay, so next thing is uh, designs making repair unsafe. Mm. And this is, goes into a lot of different things like um, mainly batteries, actually, lithium batteries. Um, the um, interesting thing about this is basically manufacturers are saying um, if you don't use an authorized dealer or authorized repair shop, um, it won't be repaired correctly and it will cause harm to someone. Which is true. That is 100% true that we have, there's cases of it. Um, what's interesting is at the, at the end of that section, it says manufacturers could not provide data to support their argument that injuries are tied to repairs performed by customers or independent repair shops. But then we found evidence of that elsewhere in the documents. Which I thought was very interesting and why it wasn't in this section as well. Well, okay, so it's interesting because, okay, so the, the title of this section is Designs Making Repairs Unsafe, like specifically saying unsafe. Yeah. And we saw, we found information in a future section about the quality of service uh, where they do say things of this sort can happen, but they, but they didn't explicitly say anyone was harmed. It's more like the device was harmed. True. That is true. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was interesting is a lot of these things that manufacturers are saying, and then at the end of the section is we asked the manufacturers to provide empirical evidence and they couldn't be bothered to provide any. <laughs> Basically <laughs> how it says it, um, which is kind of annoying. Um, I was hoping to actually get more data on that from actual manufacturers that say this kind of stuff. Cause this is stuff that we were talking about too. And it's just thought that we thought was a good idea. Um, but we are two small manufacturers or OEMs or of our products like pinball boards and amplifiers. And it's like our, our consumer base is so small, you know, but we're not making millions of things. Well, okay. So, but, and, and of course we were thinking about the things that affect us specifically as designers so we're thinking oh is this going to violate fcc is this going to violate ul is this going to violate these other things whereas if you you know perhaps the listeners of this podcast would know about that but if you walk down the street and be like hey are you is your device ul uh certified they'd be like oh go away you weirdo like they wouldn't even know like what that means and so I mean, yes, of course, we're like getting into the weeds on these kinds of things, but it's probably hard to pinpoint a situation where somebody violated FCC rules by doing a repair. Uh, but it would not surprise me if that did happen and actually does happen regularly. It's just, how would you track that? That would be so hard to find. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, these are, going back, this is, these are designs, manufacturer designs, that making the repairs unsafe, which is the reason why you should um, use a authorized dealer. Now, you could also say, well, you shouldn't design your product to make it, you should design your product so it's easier to, to safely repair as well. So there's different arguments to that one. Um, like don't glue batteries down, but then Microsoft, Microsoft said basically gluing batteries down was the preferred method because they don't rattle around as much. That's the way to make them more safe. <laughs> oh, inside the product for sure. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, it does making repairing those batteries a lot less unsafe. 
So there's trade-offs there for sure. Yeah. I think it's, again, people need to read this document and then they, they see, okay, why did Microsoft glue them in? It made it more safe for the actual product use. Sure, it made it less safe for repair or made it impossible to repair safely, but it was safer when it doesn't need to be repaired. Basically, during the lifespan of the product, which is right. until the batteries die, <laughs> at least for Microsoft. That's actually another thing it would be nice is we'll get to that later in 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 the podcast, but I'm going to bring it up now because it's kind of there is if if devices had a repairability score or index that like, like a third party did kind of like UL maybe something like that but also underneath it was um was the uh man i just had it i had a, such a great idea and i forgot glueability index <laughs> glueability index no um it was oh man Tied to repairs performed by customers. No, man, it was on in my brain. Yeah, okay, well, it, it, keep thinking about that. What's coming to mind right now is let's say I'm at I don't know I'm going to pick a store Best Buy and I've got I've got two products one in left hand one in right hand and I'm I'm not sure which one to buy. Oh no, I got I got uh the manufacturer's expected lifespan. Oh, <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that's a that's a tough one. Because what are they going to put on there forever, yeah. right? But that's the thing is... They expect it to, but they just it's not going to. So that's that's the thing is it doesn't have to be warranted towards it, but it could be, you know, it could be also a third party doing that too is, hey, uh, Microsoft glues these batteries to in, which means the batteries are not serviceable, basically. They're glued into the device. So basically, how long this device lasts is based on how long those batteries last. And that's the expected lifespan of the, of the device. Be, I, I never think about that when I buy electronic devices. It, okay, how long my phone if, is if, last. Okay, so back to my, my little thing. If there was a repairability index on a box uh, and I was, I was comparing two products and one had that and one didn't, I would be much more inclined to go with the one that printed the repairability index on the box. Oh, I, I do that with tools I buy. If I buy a, t a tool, I make sure that, like, can I get an exploded part diagram of the tool? Can I get parts for the tool? Mm. Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, probably why I buy a lot of Milwaukee tools. So, power tools. Because you can just Google the part number and an exploded diagram. It's like, these are the part numbers you can order. Which is nice, because then you can just get a part. And, and Okay, so, so I think that's one of the... Okay, so that is a... Uh, an argument against right to repair. If a company is already willing to provide that to the end user, like exploded diagrams, part number access, uh, thing, things of that sort, then the end user is more inclined to purchase from them, right? So sort of the free hand of the market kind of guides towards companies that do that already. It, 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 the thing is, those. We'll get the, that's at the bottom and like the conclusion section of this is like allowing the free market to do it. And it's just one of those the free market hasn't even gotten near there yet, except for like the automotive industry, automotive, automotive. And uh, and man, working on motorcycles is great because uh, you can just go online, pick your year, pick your make your model. You get an exploded diagram, you get a part number and you buy it. It's awesome. 
I love that. Yeah, it's it's interesting that well, the automotive industry was also kind of forced in it with the with the right to repair act for for motor vehicles. Um but the reason why automotive industry is so interesting is because there's only, at least in the United States, there's only three big manufacturers. And how many different manufacturers are in the world? Like 20? Like, actually, how many actually different, real different ones? Maybe like six or seven <laughs> uh, that are actually different, not owned like by VW or Fiat or et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Fiat owns. Fiat owns Jeep, so technically Jeep and Fiat are the same company. So it's like, yeah, anyways. Um, so there's not a lot of different, co- lot, not, there's not a lot, like for oh, like electronics manufacturers or OEMs, there's thousands. Probably, that's not even probably, that's probably too low. There's probably tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands different electronic OEMs out there in the world. Hmm. So you have... You have a hundred thousand companies trying to figure out how to standardize something. Never going to happen. Um, but it could be like Milwaukee. Like I pick Milwaukee tools because I can. I can do that. Now I haven't really looked in other if other tool manufacturers do that too. But you know, I see. I think you're performing the action of the uh, invisible hand of the market. Like you, that matters to you. So you went and did that. You're, yeah. you're not going to your uh, local government and saying, "Hey, do this for me." Yeah, I think it's, it's the difference is I'm a, I'm a super informed customer or consumer of things. Like I will research for hours on stuff. Yeah. You fit more of the prosumer grade. Yeah. So it's, it's, so it's different though is most cust most consumers are not like that. Right. And so allowing those customers easier access to that information is probably a good thing. Well, wait, wait, Again, wait, wait, we allowing that, is different than forcing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just saying allow, making that information easier, like an, I fix it repair index is a good thing. Yeah. Um, so let's go on down the list. Uh, yeah, quality of service of the repair process, which is something that basically manufacturers say, hey, if we don't own the repair process, it's not going to be a quality repair experience. It's not up to our standard. Yeah, which is the whole thing with Apple's uh, Genius Desk and all that stuff. Um, so the first thing I have to say to that is, I'm sorry if you work at a dealership, but dealerships suck <laughs> to get your stuff fixed at. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why in the, if, if, if first party repair shops were the best and so the, the best meaning best in quality price and, um, turnaround time and turnaround time, then everyone would use you, but you're not. So that's why third parties exist. Yep. Now this section mainly covers like safety of proper repairs. And so there's some examples that, that you found interesting, Stephen. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So this is, this is what we were talking about earlier when we, in the section of designs, making repair on safe, where it kind of ends being like, well, we don't have examples of that, but in the, in this next section, they give some examples of it specifically, um, Microsoft, uh, there's a Microsoft battery screw thermal event, which was on a Microsoft product. There's, there's a battery that, uh, potentially, well, okay. In in this one situation, uh, a improperly screwed in screw uh, caught, 
punctured a battery and uh, there was some some thermal issues with that. They did probably why they started gluing them in now. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, but it, but they said that that was completed by a third party um, uh, repairman. Now it didn't necessarily say that anyone was harmed in it, but the device obviously uh, was was damaged and. Um, and then they also noted a, uh, a a separate situation of over-specification of power supply units which do not meet Microsoft's quality standards, um, which caused at least 12 serious overheating of, uh, incidents resulting in damage. Once again, they didn't mention any kind of harm to human beings. But if... if, if okay, so th- that brings up a different situation, and this is specifically related to the quality section. If if there's over-specified parts going in, that's more of a modification than a repair. A repair would be replacement with either an authorized part or an exact replacement. Correct, yeah. I, I, I agree with the battery screw thermal event. Basically, a screw went into the wrong spot and punctured the battery. Um, that's just not... That, actually, the interesting thing is the right to repair response to this actually covers that one but on the second one is yeah it's like modifying your device at that point yeah it nothing microsoft could have done like if 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 you're hot rotting your device then then that this whole document doesn't apply (laughs) exactly yeah this 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 is all about repairing your device back to factory specifications how it came from the factory not about because this actually there's another section way down the list too about cars coming back to dealerships being modified and it's like yeah that should never be covered under warranty because it's been modified right modification modifying something and then you break it that's on you that's on you and your warranty doesn't cover it parker's jeep has been out of warranty (laughs) from the second it left the lot the second it got in my hands yeah yeah (laughs) There's nothing original on Parker's Jeep. I I I, I always keep trying. You know when you get those spam calls that is you know your vehicle warranty is about to expire yeah. or whatever. I've been trying to get them to warranty my Jeep. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> because I would I would save so much money if I can get all my aftermarket parts warrantied. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically the on on these quality of service, the right repair process. Um, the right to repair advocates are saying basically OEMs do this to themselves by not providing proper documentation on repair practices, which is true. Um, and the interesting thing about this whole thing is if there was an on auth or a improper repair, there has never been a documented case where the OEM is on the hook for it. So if if someone got a Stephen Craig amp and then put in put in a wrong tube in it and it killed their cat, right? <laughs> oh, what a horrible situation! Yeah. There hasn't been a situation where they were able to successfully take you to court and sue you and that kind of stuff. Correct. So, um, I think we were talking. We we touched about this topic a lot last couple of episodes about right to repair because uh, this was one of our big our big concerns and. Actually, reading this document, it's like okay, there, there hasn't been any. Basically, there is there is protection for the manufacturer for this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, it's but, like, but but manufacturers still tend to call this out as a problem. Yes, or a potential problem. 
yeah, they, I think it's one of those we say this because we don't want people to repair our devices, I, which is what I get at when I, I read this section. Mm-hmm. It's like me putting, you know, 35 inch tires on my Jeep, drive down the road, the axle falls apart, and me calling up Jeep and saying, I'm going to sue you. Yeah. So right. they'd say yeah. pound sand. Yeah, pound sand. Yeah. Um, so the next section is uh, patent rights and trademarks, um, which, which is interesting is there's like out of like the whole group of people they were interviewing for all this, this report, like there was only been like two instances where a manufacturer used patent rights and trademarks as an excuse against right to repair. So it's not a really widely used reason. Which I thought it was very interesting. I thought it'd be like number one, but it's not. Honestly, okay, but but here's the thing. Uh, okay, so the argument. Okay, so if you were trying to argument that it was a problem, what you'd have to prove is in court. And obviously, I'm not. I don't have any legal experience here, but I, so I'm shooting from the hip here. But you would have to prove that somebody opening your phone would then gain the knowledge of that patent and be able to infringe upon it and be able to. Uh, like just just by looking and, and opening up your thing, they now have all your secrets. Well, it's it's not just that. It's 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 if you are using patented technology in your device, which most devices, electronic devices, do. Um, that providing repair documentation violates that patent. That's well, what but but I'm saying covers. I'm saying above and beyond that, not even providing the documentation, just allowing someone to open it up and look at it. Well, the whole, that, that, that's the whole thing about patents, though, is the whole reason the patent is so that you have it on lock for what is it, 15 years, mm. and then it's public knowledge. Yeah. It's different from a trade secret, right? Sure. Um, so that, that's that's probably why it's not used a lot because the whole point of a patent is it becomes open knowledge. And so you don't have to trade secret and be secretive about it. So I thought that was interesting. I thought it would be number one that what manufacturers would care about. It's not. Disparagement <laughs> <laughs> um, of non OEM parts, which is something you see a lot. Um, and actually craft lab from our Twitch chat actually has a really good example, which is a owner's manual of a 3d printer. That's set. It's very interesting. It's a 3D printer that says, do not use replacement parts that have not been recommended by the manufacturer. Example, parts made at home using this 3D printer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't repair it with the printer. <laughs> Buy our OEM parts. <laughs> I thought that was good. I wonder if a lot of that phrasing is just CYA stuff. I think it is partially because there are... The one of the biggest problems about not being able to buy an authorized part is now you have to buy if you can't buy an authorized part is you have to buy a clone or a counterfeit part and your quality is you don't know until it breaks again right you put the part in it might break later oh Craftlax so, uh, was saying that statement was in a Maytag washers oh it's a washing I thought it was a three D printer I mean that would be really funny if a three D printer said don't fix with a three D printer. Uh, okay, so it was in a washing machine. My bad. Uh, a Maytag washing owner's manual. That's interesting. Why would they write that? I, I wonder if they wrote that in there because somebody has done that. 
Oh, for sure. I've repaired my own appliances with 3D printed parts. <laughs> I wonder uh, I wonder if there's some kind of uh, liability reason why they would do that or if they just want you to buy parts. I think it's to... I think it's they just want you to buy parts. Mm-hmm. There's no other... Because what we've gone back here is you, if you if you make a repair using an improper method of repair, which is not using a part that's you basically designed your own part, right? And bad things happen, you can't sue the manufacturer for it. Mm-hmm. So we, that's already protected. So I, why would they have that warning there? Unless someone was, unless the technical writer is being a little cheeky. Yeah, why do why do mattresses say you can't cut the tag off of them? Because that's a that's actually not true. <laughs> <laughs> the the seller of the mattresses can't cut the tag off. Yeah, but you, if you take that mattress home, rip that tag right off. <laughs> um. So we're, we yeah, at? we're still in repair restrictions. Yeah, yeah, still still in repair restrictions. Um. Yeah, you know, disparagement of non-OEM parts. I, I see that all the time. You know, you look in the Jeep manual and it says only use Mopar parts. Right. And then I'm like, well, I guess I can get Mopar, you know, Mopar uh wire uh um MIG wire from and and nitrogen gas for my welder, right? <laughs> Mopar gas. Mopar brand. <laughs> My welds are certified by Mopar. Mopar Mopar weld. <laughs> that that that'd be really funny if that actually exists. Um, uh, software locks is another one. Basically, like components that are software locked together. Apple has started to, to do that apparently um, from this document. Basically, like if you replace a part, it won't function because there's a key. Binding everything together, uh, software key. Now, auto manufacturers, especially GM, has started doing this. And actually, I ran into this issue two weeks ago mm. with my dad's. My dad just bought a a brand new Chevy Tahoe, 2021, and the uh, the ha- it has a um, the infotainment map system. Right to use it, you have to um, you know click. Okay, I accept the terms and conditions, right? Well, for that to work, it has to talk to an SD card. And the SD card contains all the maps for the system. And basically what it does is on boot, on the first time it boots up, it's supposed to like it's supposed to VIN lock your your vehicle identification number, that SD card to your car so that you can't trade SD cards with other Chevy Tahoe owners. Regardless, don't know why. Um, they would VIN lock that, but my dad's SD card was corrupted. <laughs> so none of that infotainment system worked. Mm. None of the maps. And worked. you couldn't just Nothing. put a new SD card in. You couldn't, you couldn't do that. That's so had, to take it, had to take it to a dealer. Now it was fixed for free because it was under warranty, but it's one of those. Wow. I know how long SD cards last. Not long. That's going to be fun to fix in six years. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, that's garbage. Yeah. That's that is garbage. <laughs> Um, so that, yeah, software locks is, uh, don't see it a lot yet. It's going to be a big thing coming up, uh, soon, I think, um, cause now it's getting the cars, right? Um, there's EULAs, which is end user license agreements. Um, I'm pretty sure 
EULAs are just not binding at all now. Like there's there's legislation that says basically they're bogus. Um, I might be wrong about that, but that's what I'm coming up with in my brain right now. <laughs> um, basically, like if EULAs are, I think it's basically. I think the argument was EULAs are so wordy, no one reads them, thus they can't be binding. <laughs> Mm. Could be completely wrong about that, though. Basically, when you click OK, it not really, it doesn't really matter. Well, okay, so legally binding, yes, enforceable, maybe not. Okay, that's it then. Yeah, you're right. Enforceable is the part. Now, the big section. We're 50 minutes into this, and this is the big <laughs> section about repair restrictions. Maybe we should break this up into two podcasts. <laughs> nah, we'll, we'll get through this. We'll, cru- we'll cruise. After this, we're near yeah, the end. Yeah, we're cruising. Liability, liability and reputational harm. Okay, so th- yeah, this one this one was interesting because Parker and I have talked about this quite a bit in the, in the past, uh, basically saying that if somebody does a repair, does it poorly, does it reflect poorly upon the uh, manufacturer? OEM. The OEM, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is what manufacturers say initial press coverage of failures of consumer devices. Seldom if ever, um, attempts to determine whether the device has been repaired by an independent service provider or refurbished with parts that did not meet OEM standards. Basically if a Samsung, it was with the Samsung phone that exploded. Oh, the note. Yeah. I, I don't, I think it was a brand new one. So it was doesn't fall into this, but I'm just saying is when you read one of those articles, it doesn't say it was a brand new phone or it came from Best Buy or whatever like that. It doesn't, it doesn't have the history of the device, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the, in the article. Uh, so, and then follow-up coverage may ultimately uh, identify inferior third-party repairs and parts as the culprit, but it's, but it is, this is likely to do little to overcome initial impression impressions made on customers, which is, this is exactly what Steven and I were talking about. A big section of if if Craig sells an amp, some dude juices it with a with a crazy tubes in it, and it blows up and burns down the stage, and people go, "Steven Craig's amps are burned down stages." When <laughs> Steven's like, "People would probably oh, buy them then." Yeah, probably, yeah, people <laughs> would probably buy them. <laughs> <laughs> Spontaneous combusting on stage. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it's it's one of those. What's interesting about this though is when again when manufacturers were asked to provide empirical evidence about this, they couldn't. Yeah. And so it's, I, it's basically all they would have to do is, it, uh, in this case, would be if a if a third party repair caused, let's say a Tesla to rear end a fire truck, cause that's happened I, that, that not a third party repair did that, but Tesla's have rear ended fire trucks before. Um, and a, it, let's say a third party repair on one of the sensors caused it to malfunction Tesla. All Tesla would have to do is sue that third party repair shop and win. And then it could use that as an example. So no manufacturer has, Basically, no manufacturer has sued for liability uh, based on repairs. Based on repair, ever. I wouldn't well, necessarily ever. say ever, I but this say document never, doesn't. 
state. This document doesn't cover the manufacturers that this document or the FTC talked to. None of them were able to provide this information. Yeah. So, but that doesn't exclude uh, settlements out of court that have gag orders on them, um, where the, where like a manufacturer or a third party settled out of court and they said, you know, don't, don't talk, talk about, about it, this yeah. ever. Um, which I'm gonna this that has to have happened. I can't think of it. I know I said ever. I can never ever think about that actually happening. Like it's never happened. It has to have happened. Hmm. You know, I think I think okay. So manufacturers, they do their own reputational harm, in a way. Like they, uh, they do. Uh, okay, three examples that come to mind. You just said the note. The note catching on fire due to swelling batteries. That was a design flaw, right? Remember the floor, the Ford Explorer, and remember what nickname it got—the Exploder. The Exploder. Yeah, yeah. And this is actually—I was about to talk next, so keep going. Yeah. Well, okay. And then here's the third one that's sort of kind of in line with things: uh, a train uh, air conditioner. They say you can't stop a train, but also it's as loud as a train. Uh, like all of those are design things. Those are not, like if a, if a if a repair guy came and did a bad job on a repair on your AC, like you you wouldn't blame train or carrier or whoever else. You'd blame the repair guy, right? Yeah, you you blame the repair guy. Like, um, well, I was getting at with the the Ford Exploder, and uh, more recently Takata airbags. Mm. Um, I actually bet you. Half our listeners don't know what we're talking about with the Ford Exploder. <laughs> but, Too young. <laughs> but uh, Takata Airbags is a more recent one because that, that's happened. It was only like five years ago. Feels like longer ago than that, but COVID, right? <laughs> um, basically, um, yeah, manufacturers are already like throwing the blame around. Like basically the whole point with this is like third party man. Third-party repair will damage our reputation. They're already trying to do that with their their suppliers, right? When when uh, so Takata Airbags is like one of the biggest suppliers of airbags for cars in the entire world. Well, there was a design defect, basically, in manufacturer defect that basically has like it's like I want to say a billion recalls happened because I know it's definitely in the hundreds of millions. Yeah. It might not be a billion, but it's there's basically Takata's got to make airbags for like the next like 15 years, like catch up mm. on like how many airbags they had to uh, replace. Um, but basically, the OEMs just threw Takata under the bus. It's like no for it's like I don't know if it was Ford or the manufacturer that used Takata. It's their fault that they chose Takata airbags and put them in their cars. Right, but they, but but they were not aware. I don't know if that's true or not. So that's the thing is, is the manufacturer aware of the defects or not? Or is Takata covering it up? I don't know. It's a lot worse if they were aware and they went forward, especially given that that is a safety device. Yes. Um, That goes back to the Ford Explorer. So the Ford Explorer in the early 2000s, I think 2002, 2003, um, was one of the most popular cars manufactured at the time. Mm. Firestone had an agreement with Ford to put Firestone tires on Fords. And unknown to Ford, Firestone had a whole bunch of tires that were marginally, I think it was marginally 
acceptable for basically the load, the weight limit of the car. And they put those on, they spec those. So Firestone spec these tires for the Ford Explorer, which caused blowouts. And the Ford Explorer at the time was a really it was skinny, really tall, top heavy. had high strut towers. Yeah. It's a very upright car yep. when you look at it. It's it's like vertical on both sides. Mm. And and its suspension is also very upright. It's not it doesn't have a wide stance. It's not big and stocky. No. It's it's tall and skinny. Um so that's it's one of those um they had a tendency uh, to roll. Yes. Well, you'd have a blowout from a Firestone tire exploding because it was undersized, and then your car would roll. Mm. Um, and so they're called Ford Exploders uh, nowadays, or has been since then. I think that was one of the first like automotive memes I remember, like new ones at least. I mean, everyone I know still calls them that. <laughs> yeah, even if they... I think a lot of people call them that, and they don't even know they were called, like, why. Yeah, right. They just think it's a cool name. <laughs> Which, by the way, the Ford Explorer is a perfectly fine car or SUV if you just put proper tires on it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. nothing wrong with the car itself. It's just Firestone undersized tires for it. Um, but yeah, uh, Ford threw... Actually, I think in that case, no one... Everyone threw Ford under the bus for that. And it was actually Firestone's... Uh, was It was actually Firestone. And that didn't come out too much later. Um, or it did come out at back then and no one cared. Everyone just was dog on Ford. So that's 20 years ago, man. Wow. <laughs> okay. Anyways. Um, yeah. So for liability and reputational harm, uh, their manufacturers, that's, that seems to be the case about this is the manufacturers were just saying all this stuff. And there's basically Microsoft was really the only one that was saying like, we actually have some evidence of this stuff. Or at least Microsoft that, was the only one who made it into this report. But but yeah, you would think that I mean, if there was more, this report would have called it all out. Yes. So um, now let's go over. This is some stuff that I uh, we haven't been able to cover on the on the podcast for right to repair stuff because we haven't had that this viewpoint, which is the right to repair advocates. Mm. Um, we haven't been able to get one on the podcast, but this uh our uh, report actually has some stuff in here about that. Yeah, it so, kind of boils it down to into a handful of points of what our R2R advocating for. So the first one's like timing of repairs. And this is a the main driver, I want to say, for like, let's say John Deere tractors. Um, basically, if timing of repairs are, or getting your, your device repaired quick enough so it's still usable again. Right, yeah, so you don't have to ship a tractor off and then be out of a tractor if that's your main implement that you're using. Uh, yeah, and you got to harvest. Right, or, or one of the examples they give in the, uh, the document is, is somebody who owns a business and they need their phone. Uh, their phone is their main source of communication, uh, and for that particular variant of phone would need to be sent off somewhere for repair, and they just opted to not do the repair because they just couldn't go without it. And mm. it's it would be generally unreasonable to expect somebody to uh, have duplicates of these things. Yes. Um, next is price of repairs, which makes sense. Um, if 
basically, this is the thing. If first-party repair shops were the cheapest, there would be no third parties, basically. Or there'd be very little. There's a reason why there's a lot of third parties because they're generally less expensive. Well, and third parties are generally more uh, adventurous in their repairs. They'll do something that doesn't mean just, oh, $1,500, I replace the screen on your laptop and you're ready to go. They might go down to chip level and replace a $3 chip and charge you $100 for that. Yeah, or replace the cable or something like right, that. Right, Yeah. Um, environmental harm is another big... And this is one that I care... I think I care the most about out of this list is environmental harm. Um, repairing a device keeps that device out of the landfill and prevents another device being made to replace that device. Um, given that I don't own a vehicle over that's younger than 20 years. You know, okay, so I'm going to I'm going to uh call out one particular thing that I heard that I think is a is a tad bit ridiculous about the environmental harm side of things. Uh so when so at one point in time Apple restricted uh a particular IC. I don't remember exactly which one it was. Uh not I shouldn't say restricted. It just wasn't readily available. However, there there was this other product that people knew that that IC was in and that product was really cheap. So to do a repair, people were buying that part, unsoldering the IC and then fixing the Apple product with it. They would do this and then blame Apple for all the environmental harm that Apple was causing them because they were buying this part, throwing away 99% of it and replacing that, and it was somehow Apple's fault. Uh, now, that's ridiculous, in my opinion. Apple could have provided that part. Though. They could have provided that part, but Apple was not forcing you to buy that thing, that's throw true. it away wastefully. So, like, those kinds of arguments in, in terms of environmental harm, if, if the environment does matter to you, you wouldn't do that repair in that way. Uh, so I think that's a little goofy. If the environment matters to you, don't buy stuff made in China. Oh, well, <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter to most of us. Um, this, this is actually Craft Lab and uh, Twitch chat brings up a good topic or a good uh, thing on this is fixing coworkers' iPhones and uh, one Apple store said one of these coworkers' device wasn't working and was uh, shit out of luck. Um, and she had a lot of pictures of her kids on the phone. Craft Lab was able to repair the device and recover, uh, well, not repair the whole device, but was able to go in there and, and fix it enough to recover the photos, which, which is a really good reason for um, right to repair. Uh, for right to repair. Um, now, it didn't completely repair the device, but got it enough to where it got sensitive data. Well, I'm curious, what would right to repair do for this situation? Like the, it sounds like the, I mean, uh, it sounds like the 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 device was unrepairable. Uh, if the well, if the goal was, was to just extract the photos, like what would right to repair solve in this situation? Yeah, I, I wonder if you went to Apple and said, "I just want to recover the data." Yeah. Versus fixing it, um, I've actually had my phone recently. I had to get my screen on my phone re uh, repaired recently, to so I could use my. Um, my Google Authenticator <laughs> app. <Huh. laughs> um, so similar boat, similar boat where I needed my my device repaired to 
2FA into things. Okay, so so I see. Yeah, Craft Labs wrote that he could have that, bought the parts instead of using another phone as sacrificial parts. So two phones gave their life to get this uh, the photos, photos off. And granted, though. Both my example and her example could be solved by just backing up our data. Well, okay, true, yeah. Um, so, um, let's see, and then oh, small business and employment, which I also agree with, is, um, basically allowing small businesses and employment for more companies to prosper by allowing this information to exist basically like how to repair your device mm. it's that's hard to argue against you can't really argue against that one yeah so unless you're app unless you're an apple employee <laughs> <laughs> so so we just said all uh, an hour and five minutes of about this one report, which might actually take you about an hour and five minutes to read it <laughs> as well. It's a bit dense, um, yeah. Um, but what can, this was written by the FTC, what can FTC actually do about this? Um, with, let's say we're not going to rewrite any laws. Say, so no, nothing new legislation gets passed through Congress. Because um, remember, Congress writes laws, not the president's. And not bureaucracies like the FTC. And not bureaucracies, which are enforcement agencies for legislation. Well, and and let's, let's actually back up just a quick second. The whole purpose of this report was to give this information to Congress to inform laws. Correct. So what can the FTC, and actually this, this section is also in, the, in this report, is basically like this is what we can currently do. Yeah. Our agency. Um, basically, they can revise interpretations of the what was it, the MMWA, which was, I'm going to scroll up, the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act, basically reinterpret that law. Yeah, so which, since that was written in, in 75, uh, they, they've basically said that due to modernization of everything, it, uh, it might be a little outdated and people, it, people well, they're not even sure if people are following it properly anyway. Yeah. Basically, their uh, interpretation of it, of that law. Right. Now, basically, th what they would do here is make it clear that certain repair restrictions that we were talking about earlier would, would violate this act. Now, the problem with that is this is, gets into that territory with the, like the ATF, um, I'll call it Tobacco Firearms Agency, and they reinterpret the laws all the time. And it's one of those, is that a good thing to do? You have, at this point, was it, since 75 would be 50, almost 50 years? 45 years, right? Mm. 45 years? Or was it 55 years? Anyways, uh, of time, of we've interpreted it this way, now we're just going to suddenly change how we read the law. Yeah. Is that a really a good thing? Mm, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um. It's confusing. <laughs> it's confusing for sure. And the, the, the thing, reason why I bring the ATF up for that is the ATF reinterprets the laws all the time whenever an executive order goes out and it ends up making lots of people felons overnight. Yeah. <laughs> now, I won't say the right to repair is going to make a lot of people felons overnight, but it's one of those things to think about 
when you're talking about um, the right to repair is to increase liberty and that kind of stuff. It's like, well, reinterpreting laws is not increasing liberty usually. <laughs> so, well, um, yeah, and 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 with regulations, uh, maybe we won't get too deep into this. Uh, if if you're expanding somebody's liberties, you have to ask the question: Are you restricting someone else's because of that? Mm-hmm. Um, and the next thing is they can just say, well, just let the industry keep going. Let's self-regulate. Um, and they bring up basically the only industry that has been able to do that, which was the auto industry. Which is regulated. Which is regulated. Actually, they, they bring it up as self-regulatory. I'm like, no, they had a right to repair <laughs> automotive act that forced them to do all this stuff. Right. Um, now, I granted, though, that was done through... Um, it was through Massachusetts with that. It's the same thing with the right to repair that the legislation is trying to push through. It's by ballot. So technically that is by self-regulation is the people are pushing the legislation through, not lawmakers. The people are basically asking lawmakers to do it though, right? Well, they, I guess they're backdooring it in a way. Yeah, well, you say that that's just there's a way for in Massachusetts. What is it called? It's 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 ballot measure, maybe. I don't remember. Um, introducing a bill that's not done through Congress directly, just through uh, citizens. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, because the 2020 Massachusetts Right to Repair Initiative is, I think, it's called a ballot measure, maybe. Been a while since I've uh, had civics class. Yes, a ballot measure. It's called a ballot measure. Okay. Um, sorry that there's probably some some lawyer that's just screaming at us <laughs> like, yes, it is that probably. or no, it's not that. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, so that's technically, I guess, market pressure, and so it's not it's not regulatory bodies doing that or, but do, they're uh, asking for that. They're asking, for, asking for regulation. For well, but the people themselves are pushing it forward. Not, not asking the representatives. representatives and then the representatives drafting something and then putting that into place. Yeah. I, this is it's, it's just it's, a, it's just a backdoor towards the same outcome, though. Sure. Yeah. It's a different in practice, though. Um which so we've been letting that play out. I don't think that's ever going to happen for the electronics OEMs because there's just so many. Mm. It, it worked for automotive because I think there's enough um, third-party repair shops for automotives and there's enough money there and the uh, there's not a lot of different automotive companies. There's only, why well, I said, there's probably less than 20, I would assume, uh, actual different manufacturers. There's hundreds of thousands of electronic OEMs in the world. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't think that's a, a viable method. So, um, But it's also interesting about this section at the end here is I, 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 I remember when I said, I said um, if Right to Repair Act goes through with all this, the I Fix It manifesto, basically, go read that too. Um, if all that stuff got implemented, 
what would happen is a lot of these manufacturers would say page one replace the device. And that's actually one of the th- concerns that the FTC has with some of these regulations that right to repair advocacies are bringing up is, Hey, you know, this could be like the worst thing ever for the environment. I was about to say like that, that goes entirely just destroys <laughs> the ad, the section on environmental harm. Yeah. You know, okay. Um, so with the, I fix it thing, what I think is funny is what they're asking for is basically fairly moderate to heavy regulation. Uh, and, and they sort of give examples of like, oh, well, this is a repair index. You're doing the thing that the, like the, you're, you're generating and creating the free market aspect and then saying, I just want you to, I want this to be regulated. You have it. Like what you have is great right there. Like that repair index that you created could be something that, you know, consumers could use when buying a phone. It doesn't necessarily need to be regulated in my opinion like it already mm. exists you made it at, for one product that is yes so it'd be very is i think we go into this this is my last point here is having transparent transparency and re, of repairability from oem slash the industry i think that's if we had that um a lot of these issues go away because I fix its uh, repair index. Um, having, I think it's a great um, example of what we could have on a larger scale. Yeah, uh, uh, knowing what when this device was designed, how long was it designed for? Like three years, four years, that kind of stuff. Or actually, if your battery is glued in, let us know how many times we we should be able to recharge that without degrading the battery Mm. that would influence (laughs) that'd be a big one (laughs) that would that would influence people's they looked at a a device and said oh i can only recharge this 300 times before the battery degrades because that's about the average for lithium batteries is 300 full cycles yeah and if you think you're doing that once a day yeah if you drain your battery once a day you're getting less than a year out of your lithium battery I know there's been more improved. That, I think that's a couple years old now. Um, it's probably up to, I think it's about 500 now, the modern lithium techs. Act, but yeah. okay. Still, regardless, that's less than a year and a uh, less than a year and a half. Well, okay. So let's speak directly to the manufacturers here, not to write to repair advocates, to the manufacturers. This seems to me like this is a really juicy territory that your uh, marketing team could get into and say, hey, we want you to know that our product is repairable. And, uh, you know, instead of show me ads on how cool your whiz bang product is, tell me that it's repairable and I have a high likelihood I'm going to buy from you or, you you know, just give me some comfort, uh, that if I buy it, it'll last a while. Like I don't see manufacturers, uh, really hammer in my uh, inbox with that kind of stuff. Like that seems like something that marketing could really put pressure on. Yeah, and I only know that stuff for the stuff I buy is because I researched the snot out of it. Right. Milwaukee right. doesn't say we provide exploded diagrams for our tools. I'm like, I had to go look for it. Or you know, in their little like uh, promo videos for Milwaukee drills, instead of just showing a guy drilling a screw into wood, like we know it does that. Uh, say like Milwaukee drills are great uh, because X Y Z and they're repairable and you can get parts for that. Like 
tell me that. Like, that's like awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hell yeah. Or like if you go to one of your big, the orange or the blue big box store and they have the Milwaukee thing up, like have a little section about repairability on there. Like, mm. I don't, I, I don't see that a lot. And like I said, I think that's a juicy territory for, I don't, I've never seen that. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe here's uh, the thing. Maybe until now, the uh, the general market, general consumer market, didn't make it clear to manufacturers that that's what we want. But mm-hmm. we clearly we do. Yeah, and act, and looking at some of the reports that this, I'll put it wait. If you if you are stuck around for an hour and sixteen minutes, listen to us talk about this. Please read this report. If you're a designer, if you're a manufacturer, if you're a consumer, this this report is some, one of the best things I've read in a long time, um, and it and that's the thing is it is it covers I can't think of anything it doesn't cover. Hmm. Yeah, it, it covered everything that we've ever talked about with, about this topic. You know, actually, what comes to mind? You know, you know when Apple once a year they do their big like hoorah thing where they go out on stage and show the new Apple products. What if what if the next iPhone bazillion or whatever number they're on? Uh, what if they came out and they said our most repairable phone yet, and they gave demonstrations about that as opposed to like we now have sixteen cameras on the back and three on the front like if they literally came out and said like here's the materials we chose and here's how it's repairable and here's how i mean yeah how that's that's them admitting recyclable. that it can break, which you know there's some issues with that, but uh, that would be awesome right this this is the thing about that though um admitting that it broke, everyone just dropped the phone. I mean, yeah, they usually say something about, like, super ultra ceramic glass, blah, blah, blah. Like, sure, that's great. Like, you're telling me that it's a cool material, but you're not telling me that it's repairable. Yeah. Right. Um, That was one of the reasons why my dad chose a uh, Chevy Tahoe for, I mean, he's buying his last car he'll ever own, basically, because he's retiring. Mm. Um, And because it's a... It's an American SUV, and it's very easy to work on. Granted, the SD card issue horribly sucks. <laughs> I like. I wish that's I, du- I actually, that's electrical I, engineers being dumb. You know, I I knew that beforehand. I might have advised him not to buy that thing. But the reason why I was thinking about the mechanic side of it, it's like okay, it's using the LS V8 motor, which has been around for a decade and a half at this point. Mm. Um, it's super easy. The engine's super easy to work on. Transmission's easy to work on. Everything about it, mechanically easy to work on. Of course, it's electronics that bites you in the butt, though. Oh, 100%. Oh. I just can't wait till in six years where SD card failure to read is the error message that pops up on the center. Uh, and then, and then it, puts you, it puts your car in limp mode, and you can only go five miles an hour. Thankfully, it doesn't do that. It just makes it so you can't use any navigation stuff. Which in six years is going to be useless anyways, but it is nice. So we're at an hour, 20 minutes. (laughs) But the cool thing about it, though, is it has, it will tell you the speed limit of the area you're in because it uses the GPS to figure out where you're at on the map and it has the speed zone. That's actually a really cool concept. I like that a lot. Okay, that's a cool concept. But what would not be a cool concept if, if it knew what it was and then it restricted your car to go only that speed. Yeah, that would That would not be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're. I think. All right. 
unless something crazy with right to repair comes up or we get an actual right to repair advocate on the podcast, I think we pretty much said enough about this topic. We've hammered this topic a lot. Yeah. We've probably had like a grand total of like four or five hours talking about it. I mean, it's an important topic for both of us because we both of us build and design stuff and we also manufacture things and we repair our own and consume our own electronics. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just super interested to see how it pans out in terms of um, does it go to a federal level and does it start to become the law of the land as opposed to a local thing? Mm-hmm. So given that, what if you sell an amp, what information are you providing to your customers? You provide a schematic? Uh, no, it's just going to be a big piece of paper that's like, thanks for buying this. It's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> it catches stages on fire. <laughs> <laughs> if you want more, go to this website. <laughs> uh, okay, let's wrap this thing up. Yep. So that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. Take it easy. Later, everyone.